Guy here from the Blood Red team. Hope you're all well and sorry to interrupt, but we just got a quick message for you before you get on with the episode that you're listening to. And while we don't have any football right now, here at Blood Red, we have got our own transfer news to let you know about. From now on, our podcast channel will be hosted on the Global Player app. Well, what does that mean? Well, don't worry. If you listen to us on any other platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, that's fine. But to get our pods quicker than anywhere else, you might want to download the Global Player app as our pods will be on there before they're released on any other player. The Global Player app is available to download on iOS and the Google Play Store or wherever it is you get your apps from. You can also find them at globalplayer.com. That's all from me. I'll let you get back on with the episode that you're expecting to hear. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined by, as ever, David Hughes. How are you getting on, mate? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Apologies to those watching who uh, you'll see I've got a cap on like a 12-year-old <laughs> facing backwards, but this uh, this hair is no longer suitable for the public eye, so it'll have to be done. But except for that, I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm all right, yeah. This seems to be a weekly thing, this, doesn't it, in terms of uh, the weekly update on, on the state of each other's hair? <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's something that um, maybe less for any of our female listeners, but certainly the male listeners, you know, everybody's, I imagine, in the same boat. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, I've said it's a few times relevant. that I, I think I'm going down like the the Gianfranco Zola, Diego Maradona <laughs> kind of week. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, hopefully it ends up a little bit better. But, you know, we'll never know. Um, yeah. After just see yeah, how we go with that. But we assume anyway that the people still with us, you know, you've... Fair play to them because they've they've got to be the, the diehard football fans that are still wanting content despite the lack of football now for one month, two months, is it something like that? Yeah, about to say five, five, six weeks maybe. Long time. Yeah, so if you're still with us, fair play. You must uh, must love football as much as we do. But today we are going to continue with the series that we thought ended last week. Um, <laughs> we went down the route of it of creating a alternative Liverpool eleven for those that haven't been with us. Um the team was based on if we wanted an eleven to play exactly how Liverpool do, with the same threats in the same in the same areas and all stuff like that. But Liverpool's whole eleven didn't exist. And we created our team over the course of three weeks. We did the forwards, then we did the midfielders, then we did the defence. Uh, and we concluded that and we were going to leave it there. But I mentioned last week at the end of the podcast, would people like to hear the same show, but on Jurgen Klopp, basically? And I've received a few. I've received enough replies to suggest that uh, people want to hear this. So we've done the same for Klopp, basically. So maybe a shorter episode. We don't know yet. Um, see how we go, at least. Uh, but we're trying to find um, a boss, basically a manager that can come in and and do as close to what Jürgen Klopp does as possible. Um, and I don't know about yourself, Dave, but I think this episode might have a lot more longevity attached to it in terms of when Klopp does actually leave, maybe these names will actually apply. Whereas the Liverpool 11, Liverpool aren't going to sell a whole 11, are they? No, yeah. Oh, you're replacing one position, aren't you? Or one role instead of potentially 11. 
Yeah, but I, I found that the the managers I've identified here, yeah, I think they, they could well be in the frame in a few years' time when Klopp does eventually go. Mm. Uh, hey. But I, I, once again, though, anyway, I haven't seen Dave's suggestions. Dave hasn't seen mine. So uh, we will get started. So as ever, Dave, you can go first. Um, I was actually going to put that to you, but only because I, I'm, I'm really, I'm pretty sure this week that we might be close on a couple of names. Um, if we so haven't got at least one of the same name, something's going wrong here. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know about you, I, I came up with a bit of a, you know, what, what I deemed to be an important criteria. I don't know about you. Did you? Oh, well, yeah, I did, yeah. But if you if you want to start, start at the top with, with the, what, what you consider to be the, the important criteria, it might be good for the, good for the show. Yeah, so I listed a number of things that I think Klopp delivers that are just very, very important. So, first of all, he he is an attraction. He has like a, a law about him that brings people to the club, high-profile people to the club and that sort of thing. And I think Liverpool have benefited with that in terms of big signs, for example, like Van Dijk and Alisson and players like that. Maybe they wouldn't come if Klopp wasn't here. You know, we never know. Secondly... He speaks English very well. Um, his game, pressing, intensity, for me that coincides with the the habits of the city. Uh, so I think there's a good blend there. Um, proven ability to coach according to the numbers. Uh, a track record of winning, in, including silverware. Um, a character that you know, was kind of larger than life. Um, very, very important, this one. He improved players. Uh, I felt, felt like that was an important one, especially considering the way FSG go about recruitment and stuff like that. Really important that rather than being a manager who can just use players, a bit like Mourinho maybe, Klopp improves them, takes them to the next level. So I think whoever comes in aside Klopp, uh, instead of Klopp, would have to do that. Uh, and finally... Kind of a willingness to to let others do their jobs. Um, I think Rogers was a bit inclined to to want control of recruitment, for example. And I think Klopp's very collegiate in that he's willing to. What's the word I thought there? Um, uh, not not outsource, but he's um, uh, he's not a dictator, is he? He's the opposite, yeah, of that, whatever the opposite yeah. of that is. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, um, so that that's kind of my my. You know my tick boxes if you like mm, yeah yeah no i i'd agree with most of them I, I don't know if i was uh as focused on um you know the larger than life type um character persona just because i think klopp's got that down to a t um and i think it could be hard to maybe replicate it as good as him um but certainly things that you were touching on there is things i've kind of you know tried to look for um the manager i've started with i think is is probably the most obvious candidate, uh, but still can't be ignored. And that's obviously um, Leipzig's manager, Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, I'll have this conversation without including him. Um, I actually feel like most people listening to this will know who he is, but as a quick, you know, kind of roundup history. Just before I carry on, Josh, have you included him? He was also on my first year. Yeah, fair. Okay, so maybe what I'll again, I'll I'll try and um, you know, get my point across, but maybe not try and hog the 
hog the microphone for want of a better term um because he's someone that i think both of both of us would be enjoy talking about um but you know he obviously, he's obviously he's someone that never reached the uh, the highest level in terms of in terms of playing career retired a 23 injury um went back and studied the game obtained a uh, bachelor's in sport and training science um, went to work at Hoffenheim, was promoted within uh, after doing well with the youth sides. Um, took over Hope Stevens uh, to be the youngest Bundesliga coach in 2017. And I think at the time, they were Hoffenheim were in the relegation zone, um, on near the relegation zone, and he steered them for safety. Um, but just a really, really exciting manager, you know, he's the kind of staples you come to expect with them as a side, you know, they like to attack. Uh, very vertical in the play, quick forward passes, uh, really aggressive without the ball, um, you know, press relentlessly. These are things that you really associate with with Klopp. Um, you know, th- this is his, his first year at Leipzig and the five points off top spot. Um, if you remember just before the, the season was suspended for COVID-19, you know, they, they comfortably beat Tottenham. Um, I'm pretty sure they beat them home and away, didn't they, Josh? Yeah, they did. It was, I think it was one yeah. nil away and something like three nil at home. Three nil, yeah. Like it just it felt like a really comfortable, uh, comfortable victories for them. Uh, Sorry, man. Just been attacked by a by a wasp. Are you alright? <laughs> in my room. <laughs> Go on, carry on. Um, how did it get in? I don't know that I'm on edge. You like? Sounds okay. <laughs> Um, where was I? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, in terms of like playing principles, you know, wing, wing backs are pushed up high up the pitch, uh, similar to Liverpool, but that's more with an idea of you know stretching defending teams and creating openings within rather than necessarily build down down the flanks. Um, you know, midfielders rotate, drop into those positions where the wing backs go and come and collect the ball. Um, just these kind of behaviours that we've come to associate with with uh, Klopp's Liverpool. Um, but I think what's really important this year is there does seems to be. Um, as obviously with with a better team with Leipzig, and I think a lot of people now understand what what the type of coach he is. And there's been examples of him overcoming obstacles in terms of um, how how they're setting up to play. You know, his side are quite well known for um, hitting fast. You know, in the transitions, exploiting spaces, and what you find. And there's a lot of teams now are sitting a lot deeper. Um, if we if we look at Leipzig last season to this season, okay, no, he wasn't the coach last season, but they had the PPDA against of around nine point four. Uh, this season it's dropped to twelve point six, so it shows that teams are sit back a little bit more. But Leipzig is still find ways to get through that. Um, you know, really good combination play up in, in like the attacking third, and you know, if we go back to some of the things that you alluded to earlier, Josh. Um, you know, his English is fantastic. Um, He's got a clear direction and philosophy, meaning that everybody knows um, which way the club's going and, you know, all pulling in one direction. He's comfortable working with uh, directors of football and, you know, uh, outsourcing things that need to be outsourced. And I think I think the, the whole Red Bull kind of uh, institution is, is really good for managers to, you know, I get. I, I can't think of the best. Apply the trade almost. It's a, just a really good organisation to come through 
um, I set you up for a bigger move eventually. I think he's just a perfect candidate. Yeah, I think what you mentioned at, at the end is crucial for me. Um, I think any, almost any head coach that takes over at any of the Red Bull clubs kind of would apply vaguely to a, at least to a Liverpool role. Uh, and that, that's player or staff, really, just because of the similar styles of play, similar principles and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, Nagelsmann's currently in charge over there. Um, and I just, I, I found that when I was listing, for each manager that I've picked, I think I found that like when I was listing, you know, each positive, if you like, I found that I was just reeling them off for him. Um, he was just, you know, endless, really. There's too many little things to pick up on. Um, I found it, I think it's important with him. He seems to have a real human touch. Um, I think he seems to, the fact, maybe the fact he was a player himself and he, he suffered, you know, misfortune by getting injured. Maybe he's got that side to him now, but I remember him famously saying that 30% of coaching is tactics and 70% is social competence. I think that was an interesting little shout. Um, and it goes about, I think he takes both boxes over there. I think he's, he, he can clearly communicate with people. As you say, mm. his English is very good. But tactically, he's quite, he's quite fluid as well. Um, he seems to me to be very level-headed. Uh, I think he got approached. I think I read about him getting approached by Real Madrid. And rather than just diving on it because it's Real Madrid, he was, you know, streetwise enough to, to appreciate that. He's not really ready for that. And his style of coaching doesn't really complement Real Madrid in terms of, you know, developments and stuff like that. Real Madrid's very much about results. You get results, you get results, you get results, and then you leave. And I think Nagelsmann wants a bit more than that, hence why he's probably suited to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his coaching method is very modern. I think he's famous for using very futuristic. I think he was one of the first to introduce drones and things like that into training. Um yeah, he, he, one thing he hasn't he hasn't experienced winning, um, mm-hmm. in terms of silverware and things like that, but he has achieved Champions qualification with Hoffenheim, which I think you mentioned, and obviously he's currently challenging Bayern Munich, um, despite having you know a squad that's nowhere near as good. But I think another another box that he that crucially this season we've seen that he takes actually is he improves players. I think Timo Werner has moved on to a different level, and. Another one that I just pointed out was Christopher and Conku's really, really came on as well. But I think at Liverpool, he would have to bring, you know, an ability to improve players. And I think he's shown up this season, hasn't he? Yeah. No, yeah, that, that really good point. You know, if you think about specifically that play in Conku, like he, um, you know, he was, he was considered a little bit of, I don't know if misfits the right term, but he was getting linked with places, but no one was really sure whether he'd, whether he'd be, you know, a, a, a real success. Um, I remember writing about him last year. Um, did he go from PSG? Was it Josh? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it what it, it it didn't look anywhere near the play he's turned out to be. There was definitely potential there, but there was a lot of question marks over there. And I think he's he's arrived at uh, a good club with a really good coach, who's obviously developed them fantastically. Um, I'm seeing the benefits of it, but there's quite a few examples in that team. That it, it, it's no, he's playing a part in why so many of their players are now so highly thought of. You know, we were both raving about Umakano last week, weren't we? Um, on the show, 
obviously he's he's uh, he's had another he's and if you're talking about players have gone up a level like you were with Timo Werner, I think he's done exactly that as well. Um so it it's it's kind of a testament to to his abilities as a coach, I think. Yeah. I think I've I've also got down that I think he's a little bit more tactically experimental than Klopp is. Mm. Um I think for example he'd be the type to to maybe in the odd match, depending on the scenario, I think he'd he'd maybe be the type to just throw it into midfield. Just those little tiny little um tests basically that I don't think Klopp has much of an interest in. I think Klopp's a lot more well, pragmatic maybe than, than people think. Klopp's very grounded with the way he approaches things. Although he's mm-hmm. very offensive, he's quite realistic with the way he sets up. But I think there's there's plenty of managers out there that are a bit more experimental with what they do. And I think Nagels was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about he, he doesn't seem to have the the, the Klopp persona, um, but I might as well say now that I couldn't find anyone who did. Um, it's it's quite you know it's unique, isn't it? The larger than life character that Klopp is. You're not really going to find that. Um, and because of that, I've looked down that he's, he is developing a reputation in the game. I think people are aware of him, but I don't think he's yet got the the attraction as he... I mean, say, for example, Liverpool with fighting it out for a player such as Kylian Mbappe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mbappe's got the choice between several clubs. I think right now, Klopp would come and say Mbappe's thinking. But I don't think... Nagelsmann at his current level at least would maybe he will you know by delivering so he's throughout his career but I don't think he's there yet is he yeah I don't know maybe it's Liverpool managing Mike though I think if if he was to make that step up to Liverpool now or say in the next two years or whatever I think you know that would that would attract a lot of um, lot of interest on him and I think people would start taking him a little bit more serious as as, yeah, you know, this yeah. is this is the this is the guy. You know, this guy is what's he been doing? You know, he's been doing this, and he's achieved what with who? And I think that's where the interest comes from. Uh, so I think he's he's definitely great that that he's not that coach yet, or he hasn't got that kind of uh, persona yet. But I do think he's he's on that on that path definitely. Yeah, yeah, I would agree there. And just a little bit on his numbers, um, Leipzig obviously couldn't be second in the Bundesliga for expected goals and first for expected goals against so very short sample size i think they've only played around 30 games or so and obviously liverpool will have data going back you know throughout his whole career probably but those are the types of numbers that suggest that he can coach a team because you know if you've got the the, the, the best defense in the league and the, and the second best attack in the league you're going to win more often than not um so, yeah, I think he ticks a lot of boxes and it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Hopefully, I mean, the only issue with it, I mean, I, I'm talking away from the alternative thing now and I'm talking, I'm looking into the future. The only issue I can see with it is Klopp's contract to, till about 2023, 2024 or something like that. Can you see Nagelsmann avoiding England for that long? That's the only issue yeah. I can see. Like you think by the time Liverpool are ready to bring a new manager in, they might miss the boat type thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Obviously that stems from how good Klopp is, but I can't well, think it's going to be tough that another English club will snap on first. Well, let's have a look at uh, kind of the, the potential candidates. So you'd say, you know, are City going to have a new manager in the next... Say, let's talk two years, because I think that's a good time. 
potentially they could because you know Guardiola. We know that he he doesn't tend to stay too long. He's been here that a few years now, hasn't he? And um, City could be a potential candidate. I think United. I don't know. It depends what happens to Solskjaer. The one that I'm kind of thinking could be the um, the the kind of package that he'd end up going to is maybe someone like Tottenham. You know. Um, yeah, I think they've actually um, showcased their interest in him previously, mm. but I don't think they sold it enough to him, and I don't think they made him feel enough like he was wanted. Yeah, his own words, I think. All oh, right, okay. I uh, I think post Mourinho, depending on what happens there, because even if he's successful, you can't see Mourinho being there for the long haul. I just think the kind of infrastructure they have in place, there's less of an expectancy on them to, you know. You know, the way you're there at United, the, the United way and this, even though we're talking some really fantastic football to watch here and what he brings. But I don't know, I feel like Tottenham is a club that you go in and, and mould into your own philosophy and yeah. your own direction. Um, I mean, put it this way, the, the only thing with what you're saying, I think by 2023 or 2024 or so, I think by then, United will have had at least one new manager. Spurs will have had at least one new manager and City will have had at least one new manager. Mm. That's the issue. Uh, I don't think Arteta, I think Arteta's got potential to still be an Arsenal. Yeah, unless and he bombs. Lampard yeah. would still be at Chelsea, maybe. Yeah, no, you're right. Because they're both young manners, managers who are meant to be there for for the... You say long goal, obviously it's hard to predict this stuff, but... Um, you know, looking into the future, that's the that's the idea. Whereas the other managers you've named, not really. Obviously, Pep was meant to be, but Pep's already been there a few years, hasn't he? So, mm, yeah. yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, whether he'll still still be there, I don't know. No, he looks really good though. Yeah, um, one for the future maybe, but certainly keep an eye out for him. If you Liverpool, I don't know how these things work specifically inside clubs, but if you Liverpool, maybe you're giving him the odd little hint that in the future something's waiting there for him. Mm. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So, are we going to go with next then? Do you what? I mean, I, I'm happy to go, but as I said, I feel like I'm always going first. Do you, do you want to? Do you want to get yours in first? Yeah, go on. I'll go first then. Okay, go on, mate. So I went down another um, coaching the Bundesliga. <laughs> And, oh. another, and another um, graduate of the Red Bull system, uh, Marco Rhodes. So did I, mate. Yeah, and no surprises. I'm not you surprised. Know you know, we, we, we did talk about this before the show, didn't we? And <laughs> a good point was made that it, you know, it kind of reaffirms the the quality of the candidates if, if we're both kind of uh, flagging the same person. So I think that's interesting, actually. Yeah. Um, that shows we're both... At least in the same line of thinking, which can yeah. be a good thing. Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Great minds, mate. Great minds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, Marco Rose, he's, a, he's currently at Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, and he, he's been awarded that job, basically, because of his time at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. It's currently uh, being forwarded by Jesse March, but he took over from Rose, who left in the summer. I think it was the summer just gone. Yeah, um, yeah, but he, he seems to have completely, immediately improved. Gladbach uh, speaks English as far as I'm aware. Um, his right hand man is Rene Maric, 
uh, for for those who aren't aware, he is. I mean, he's a an absolute expert tactical mind. I suppose that is how I define him. A really young, up and coming assistant who views the game differently to a lot of people. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. He, he really starts out, didn't he? As a renowned like uh, football blogger on Twitter, then uh, kind of took a really unique um, career path to where he's got. Um, and yeah. he has quite quite an uh, quite a following, doesn't he, on Twitter and stuff? Yeah, but the way um, the way, for example, whenever Pep Linders takes a takes a press conference and the things Pep Linders comes out with, and you, you just make you think. I think Rene Maric is very similar, if not if not even more like that in terms of the way he perceives the game and the way he talks. It it it's just very thought provoking the things he says. Um, but another coach anyway, he was very modern. Uh, only 43 years old, very tactical. I think Mönchengladbach changed their system virtually every week. Um, keep the same principles of play, which involve pressing and things like that. But the actual formation changes most weeks, I think. Uh, and interestingly, he he's worked on the clock before as a player. Um, and he's referenced in the past uh, how Klopp has impacted his managerial you know, behaviour, if you like. I think he, he deals with people similarly to how he saw Klopp deal with people. Um, Josh, where, where was that at? I didn't know that. Yeah, I read the piece on it. Uh, I'll double-check where it was in, in a sec. Um, but, yeah, I remember reading the piece on it. It was Marco Rose talking about leadership and things like that. Mm. And his concept of leadership basically derived from, from how Klopp perceived it. So uh, it's I suppose you could almost label him as a clock disciple there, which is is ideal if if clock's going to spend you know around seven seven to ten years at Liverpool, and then the man to replace him is is a man who's essentially a disciple of his, um, and he's also got experience winning, unlike uh, Nagelsmann, albeit at a slightly lower level uh, in in Austria. So he's won one Austrian youth league under 16s two Austrian Youth Leagues under-18s, one UEFA Youth League, one Austrian Cup, and two Austrian Champions. Uh, that's, that's the first division. Um, so he's clearly won. Mönchengladbach were doing well this season up until falling off a little bit. I think they're currently now third, is it? Something like that. Yeah, still, uh, yeah, still six, like... six points off, which isn't too bad. Yeah, Um I think he's another manager building his reputation as as Nagelsmann is. Maybe he doesn't have that that law right now, but possibly he will have in the future. And he again crucially seems to improve players. Um spoke about Dennis Zachariah a few weeks ago for our midfield option. He's a player currently working under Marco Rose. And I think um Marcus Turan has also come on leaps and bounds this season since working under him. So yeah, he's, he's another one similar to Nagelsmann who just seems to really fit the bill for me. He seems to be able to, he looks like he'd be able to come in, mix things up a little bit, change things here and there to do with the team style of play and different ideas and stuff. But Liverpool of Klopp would still remain, if you like. Yeah, yeah, you know what? A lot of what you said there, I can, I can only really agree. Um, you know, I think you, you made a really good point and the reason I found it really interesting about him playing on the clock was because I'd actually wrote here about 
various things that I've read about them, it seems very much like he's similar to Klopp in the sense that um, he allows a little bit more freedom to his players. You know, if you compare it to like a, a Pep system where it's very uh, intricate and, you know, ready to everybody kind of has to be within the ideologies of the team. It seems like, you know, playing under him. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still patterns of play and stuff, but it seems like there's more decision-making left to the, you know, to the players whilst they're out there. Um, and that is more how we, we've said this months back about the differences between Pep and Klopp. That's something that Klopp does. He he let, le, lets the players have a little bit more freedom in what they try to do, you know, when they have the ball. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, Rose seems to be doing as well. So I, I just found, found that really interesting that he actually played on the clock. And I do wonder whether that filtered down from, from there. Um, yeah, yeah, I've got the info on that now if you want to. Yeah, if you don't mind me, yeah. Yeah, so clock coached Marco Rose um, when he was playing as a fullback um, six years at Mainz. Mm. So it was before clock went to Dortmund. Uh, so it was, you know, between 2002 and 2008, maybe, mm. that period. Marco Wolves was a fullback for Klopp and you know, six years under him. And I think he's since, since spoke about how his impact as managerial career, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. That. And I also want to just touch a little bit more on the uh, on the, the point that you raised about winning things, because that is a key difference between, say, him and Nagelsmann. And I do think winning things breeds that winner's mentality and you know I've, I've i've read a few interviews like Rennie, for example where um I, i'm paraphrasing a little bit because i can't remember where i saw the interview but he, he was talking about you know um the importance of pressing and possession and because it, it does seems like this this munching glass side uh, a little bit more well-rounded than the uh than, than the salzburg side that he had um uh, but anyway, Rennie was saying that, you know, uh, as a top team, you you can't concede the ball to an underdog who's happy with the game staying nil-nil. If you if you want to win against the side who's happy not to lose, you need to go out and get the ball and get it early. And that's the kind of behaviours of a top team, isn't it? That's kind of what you see, you know, the likes of Liverpool and stuff doing now. Um, and I, I, I just think that that little element of, of potentially already have that winner's mentality within it kind of sets you up for a successful career. Um, and that, that duo do seem to have that to them. Um, I think I think he's he, he's going to do really well. wouldn't surprise me if he might have delivered some sort of maybe a, a Bundesliga title over the next year or two. Um, and, and once again, just going back to setting how good the, the Red Bull kind of infrastructure is for breeding managers. You know, he's come from it again and um, it does kind of set you up to succeed at places like Liverpool, in my opinion. Yeah, I think what you mentioned there about um, his desire to win is is quite important because I think there's there's a wide variety of uh, maybe what you'd deem as hipster managers out there, um, mm. managers that are trendy um, and have got attractive styles of play, but they never really win in. Um, yeah. I think, for example... You know, I don't really want to throw him under the bus here because he's, he's he's good at what he does. But uh, I think the current Barcelona boss, Keek Setien, I think he's he's always been, you know, very very attractive style of play and all that sort of stuff, playing football the right way, if you like. But he's never really come close to to, to delivering 
consistent results every single week. He's almost mm. too too utopian. And I think the two bosses we've mentioned so far, Rose and Nagelsmann, the trendy and the modern and you know tactical and all that sort of stuff. But you can also see that there's a desire there to deliver, uh, which is what Liverpool need. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I always think when there's a when the presiding element is like uh winning rather than style, I think that's when you get more adaptable managers. Um like I think and I do like him, but you know, and I, someone someone could call me out here because my knowledge only goes so far back, you know, maybe last 10, 15 years, and he maybe he's won a lot more that. But if, even if you think of like Bielsa at Leeds, you know, everybody loves Bielsa, loves his style, but um I don't think it's he's had the biggest successful career. You know, he's been at a lot of clubs and a lot of big clubs, but I don't think he's necessarily won a lot of a lot of trophies. Um I hope I hope I don't end up being wrong on that. Um No, but, I know what you mean. I, I, yeah. I, think I think he's generally done done better in his home conference, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and he's he's obviously really, really good at getting a getting the side really well coached. But I don't know what you're saying in terms of delivering actual results. Yeah. Um, they've, they've maybe shown a tendency to, to flux up a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, do, do you think, just going back to Rose, do you think there's more um, realism to that in potentially becoming a Liverpool manager in the sense that, for me, it depends, I mean, it could change if he starts delivering a, a, lot, a lot of trophies in Germany, but... He doesn't seem as sought after as as maybe others or even like Nagelsmann. And you think there's maybe more into the longevity before going to somewhere like Liverpool further down the line? Yeah, for me, he should be sought after. And I think over the course of the, the, the when he did go to Mönchengladbach, I was quite surprised that nobody from England was really fussed on Um I remember thinking to myself that potentially Everton could have followed the rules of, of Marco Rose, but obviously they, they ended up sticking with Marco Silva and then eventually getting Ancelotti in. But I don't know, he's the, he's the type of manager that should certainly improve with time. And I think he's very much at the almost at the start of his career, despite the fact that he's spent a few years in Salzburg. And I think they actually got quite far in, in the Europa League a few seasons as well. Um, yeah, they, yeah. And they, didn't they beat someone like Benfica or someone? That was quite a quite a quite a coup for really. Yeah, I think I think they, they got to maybe a semi final with them at some point, and I think they just got edged out by Napoli maybe or or a team some team like that, Sevilla or something. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I, us talking about that now may not seem that like interesting because obviously they were in the Champions League this year, but uh, they, they seem a better outfit now compared to what they were then. It feels like that was really you know quite quite a a fee for them to achieve, wasn't it? Yeah, I I think, I mean, Spurs are very very well known, depending on how many how how into football you actually are. But mm. I think during those years where he got them quite far in the Europa League, I think he, he not put them on the map, but do you know what I mean? Kind of mm. generated a bit of interest in them and stuff like that. And I think he provided a bit of platform for where they've where they've went on to be right now in terms of being in the Champions League each, each year and. You know, being able to compete with Liverpool really because we had two quite difficult games against them in the group stage yeah, this yeah. season. 
And oh, they were there. They were impressive in both games. It does feel like when just touching on Bundesliga, and again, we haven't even we weren't even planning on talking about this, but it does feel like when when we're having this conversation, it shows that they they seem to be a lot more progressive, don't don't they, in terms of the coaches that they bring in as a the sides as a whole. Obviously, we I don't know, maybe you do, but I don't focus on the the lesser sides in the division. No, not out of choice, but there's only so much football you can kind of take in, isn't it? But um, as a division, it seems to be a lot more progressive than say yeah, what, we, yeah. what we say we see in England. Yeah, I think what it is is they're a lot more willing to take risks mm. and a lot more willing to think outside the box. Basically. Yeah, I think so many Premier League bosses, the first thought is I need to get someone in who will deliver results. Yeah. Even if like you're in charge of um I'm trying to think of an absolute middle of the road mid table Premier League club who aren't really gonna go down and they're not gonna challenge. Yet the 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 owners consistently focus on results, 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 rather than thinking about maybe developments over a medium to long term. Well, and well, eventually being something better, basically. As Spurs, for example, on the Poch. Yeah, you'd, you'd probably say that, you know, like maybe, um, I know they did try it, but they got it all wrong. You'd say probably Crystal Palace or someone's like that, you know, they've. Yeah, yeah. Except when they tried to bring in, um, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Um, yeah, they brought him in, but either side of that, it was obviously Hodgson, then was it Pardew? Um, was it Pardew? Yeah, that? Exactly yeah. Like that. and then they've, they've, you know, they've dropped him in. Um, haven't really prepared for it in any way, and you know they've kind of hit the panic button just as quick and and ch- changed it. And yeah, there's a lot more examples of that, and it feels like a lot more Premier League teams kind of compete to survive rather than to you know be yeah, successful. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And maybe that isn't the case in in the Bundesliga. I, I did see an article. Uh, I only skimmed over there a couple of weeks ago. It was a bit. It was on Wolfsburg. Now let me try and remember their manager. They've got someone I think who's quite young in, um, or maybe they, I don't know. They had someone in, and um, uh, yeah, I can't remember that anyway. But the point to say was that it, it didn't work out for them. But it, it it seems like they've been persistent with a younger manager and hope that things would turn around. And yeah, he just couldn't really see that. And even now, Potter, Potter's considered quite young and people are already talking about sacking him at Brighton. Yeah. Well, I think Potter, although I rate Potter, I think he maybe fits fits in a little bit more with the, with the Keek Setti and Brackett at the minute in terms of mm. hipsterish, um, modern, trendy, clearly good at what he does in terms of coaching and stuff, but you have, you have to deliver results as well. There's got to be a bit of a balance there. Um, also, I think very few are able to blend that. Yeah, great. Also, our producer just said it was a big Sam in between Pardew, the ball, and Palace. But if anything, that just reaffirms the point we were making. Yeah, that is a mixed bag event. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, have, have you got? Did you put any other, any other managers down? Or no, no, that was I put two, those two down as my uh, kind of prime prime candidates, really. Well, I wanted I wanted to throw one more in there just to get your general opinion, right? Um, because it's it's unlikely, but part of me suggests that maybe he's a little he is he is quite quite suited, I suppose. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino. Mm. What do you think the uh, the 
A on the suitability and B on on the likelihood of that happening. So I think, I think he was always a bit jealous looking over at Liverpool to be honest. Com- yeah. Compared to Spurs not not being willing to back him to go over that final hurdle, and he back Liverpool back to clock. Yeah, no, I agree. Pochettino is a is a really strange one because he is he's I think we all agree he's a fantastic manager. Um, but he's one of these managers that has that lingering thing over no success hanging over them, which I don't always think is quite fair to judge people on that. Even though we were talking about its importance earlier with Liverpool, um, I mean we're talking about realism. I think it's I don't know because uh, where is, it, is he going to be a manager that's kind of without work for a few years, or is he going to be loitering at like a mid-table club where Liverpool can just come along and pick him up and take him in? Um, but hey, put, put it this way: if 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 Klopp was to resign today. Yeah, and, and Pochettino was offered the Liverpool job. I I think he'd be insane to turn that down. Yeah. Oh, if 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 you if you if you're saying that if that happened now, I think that would be a very good move for both both parties. I think the way Pochettino likes his team to play suits Liverpool perfectly, and you know he doesn't go with the ideologies of the of the club as well. You know, really, you forget how good Spurs were. Maybe not in the later days, but you know, in terms of the the press and some of the football they played, it was it was really in line with what we what we kind of associate with Liverpool. Um, so I think he I think he could be a really good match. Yeah, his space team a few years ago was honestly ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it, we've just been mentioning that about um trendy managers coinciding with results, and although Poch hasn't got. Silverware for me, he still takes the results, Brad. Um, beat the Champions League final, and that for me, they can go either way. And over a two season period, I think Spurs were comfortably the best team in England. But because of how each 38 game period panned out, I think they finished second to Leicester or something like that. Um, and then the following season third or something but I think over the over the full two seasons I think they finish with the most points if you if you accumulated both points tallies to a total. Yeah. Um, I think I think uh, I think again our producer who's an Arsenal fan would be desperate to point out that they finished third I get to Leicester because I they, okay. they ended up on the final day they got pipped by Arsenal. Yeah yeah I think I was thinking that down in the back of my head. But it was a it was a two horse race for that season. But I, I agreed over that couple of years they you know, they were really unlucky not to win something and they, they probably deserve something to kind of reaffirm the position as one of the, the better sides, really, in the country. Um, and the football that they were playing whilst they did, it was just phenomenal. And um, he turned out to be a fantastic uh, coach. You know, when, you, when I had, I raised my eyebrows a little bit. I thought he'd done really well to Southampton, but I was like, you know, is this kind of a, a Marco Silva-esque signing? Um, yeah, yeah. And admittedly, you know, I, I didn't kind of study football to the the, the level that I, I do now. So maybe if I was, I, I would have saw, you know, below the surface that he, he was going to be a success. But um, I was blown away really over those years, just just how good he was and how, how good the side was. And if we bring it back onto Liverpool, then the more we talk about it, just it, it does seem like he could be a, a really good candidate. Yeah, I just wasn't mention him just because. To... The whole dominant style of play that we talk about is what he had at Spurs, although he gradually lost it over time, but I think it was due to the squad. Mm. Uh, I think he is a bit more inclined to create a bit of conflict, unlike Klopp. Um, 
but I, I do think he he would vaguely apply. But uh, obviously, I think that one's a bit of a wild card. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So to to round up the show, because we've got a little bit of time remaining, um, Christian, who hasn't been on for a few weeks now, had the idea of just a general chat on who would win a game of football, an imaginary game of football, Klopp's Liverpool or Klopp's Borussia Dortmund. Um, Have you got any immediate thoughts before we get into it or...? I mean, I could give a give, give a sentence answer, but uh, you know, I think I think we want to try and go into a little bit more detail than that. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it'd be an interesting game, should we say that? Yeah, I've got the Dortmund team here, so just be, just before yeah, just before I cut in, sorry, what what kind of what have you considered their kind of golden period, their like golden years or whatever? So obviously you can't only really pick one team, but mm. the, the team that I've went for, the one that I came to mind for me, I've found in the four-one win over Real Madrid in the Champions League, yeah. and that it. consists of Weidenfeller in defense in in goal, um, yeah. Schmelzer, Hummels, Subotic, Piszczek, then a midfield two of Gundogan. Bender. Yeah. Then Marco Ruiz, Mario Gotze, and Blasikovsky. <laughs> so, well done. And then Lewandowski up front in a 4 2 3 1. I basically That's got the same team. Yeah, I basically got the same team, but I've got Perisic in there on the left, and then Ruiz through the middle and Gotze on the right. Perisic? Uh, yeah. The Inton Perisic? Yeah, but you know what? Um, two seconds. Just carry on as you are. I mean, I want to check something. Okay. Yeah, but the double I remember at the time, um, I wasn't massive. I, I wasn't. I wasn't yet involved with football as much as I am now. So, I think I was most focused on their Champions yeah, League one on that. So, um, okay. the, the the other the other Dortmund side that I saw didn't feature Mario Götze, and it, it it instead had a. Maybe I'm gonna butcher this name now, but see, I think it was I, Rob Kreunz or something like that on the left. Yeah, see, I can't find I, I I can't find where this the the exact game I've got this from. Um, but he was he, 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 he I mean he was there. He was there from 2011, 2013. I'm just trying to find where this exact exact team comes fr- from. What game it was in? I haven't got it, but yeah, Perisic on the left. Ivan Perisic. Yeah, yeah, he, he did play. I did not know he played for Dortmund. Yeah, he full. I had no uh, idea. On, let me get it up and find out how many times I actually played for them. Um. Yeah, he, yeah, forty-two times over the over 2011, 2013. Uh, nine so goals. He will, have, he will have been about twenty-one or so. Yeah, he scored. Yeah, our, our producer said he scored a, a beauty against Arsenal in twenty twelve. I must have missed that, you know. Yeah, but um, sorry, mate, I can't, I can't find this the the, the exact game that I've pulled this from. But it, I mean, it's basically the same as the team you've got up anyway, isn't it? Um, bad player. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you've got what. What are your thoughts on on the the key the key aspects of the game? Then I suppose. Yeah. So. 
Uh, yeah, this is really, I've just gone a lot of, of, of memory of, of, of what I kind of remember of that side. And, you know, they were, they were fast, they were, they were ruthless. Um, they seemed to be one of the teams that, although pressing wasn't necessarily a new concept, the, the, the way they were doing, or like the gem pre- again pressing, sorry, um, it just seemed to be completely... Um, I think it, it, was quite, it was quite unorthodox, wasn't it, at yeah. the time? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you finished that sentence for me. I was getting tongue twisted there. Um, but yeah, I, I think we, we especially saw the, the impact in Europe. I don't think, you know, we think of like Barcelona's and stuff and, you know, the kind of top top teams in Europe at the time. I, I don't think they knew how to handle it. It was it was very unique. And I think it um, it, it caught a lot of sides off guard. Obviously, it, it was really successful in the Bundesliga. Um, I think they had really good technical players in attack. Um, you know, they were just a... A very intense team. Things that kind of we not now know about Klopp, but at the time, many didn't. Um, I suppose if I had maybe one criticism, was it could be a little bit more one-dimensional, and um, you know, if you compare that to Liverpool now, we seem to be able to beat you in many different ways. It feels like back then, Dortmund's kind of only really had that one way of playing, um, yeah. which maybe led to their led to their downfall. Yeah, I think what it was and what Klopp was was basically focused on on a transition game, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so thriving when the ball's loose, um, and then when when you lose the ball, I think you mentioned there about pressing. But I, I don't think the pressing was particularly new, but using pressing as a means of creating a goal scoring chance was quite, you know, it wasn't really seen particularly at the top of the European game at that time. Um, this was like, around a period where Barcelona were just thriving with nice possession-based football, and Klopp came in with this what he deemed as heavy metal. Yeah, yeah, I remember that term. Yeah, it felt yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe if I restructure the sentences, it was it it felt new in the terms of being used as an offensive tool rather than just a yeah, defensive yeah. one. Yeah, um, um, but I think I think Dortmund were very focused on. Uh, I don't think they were particularly focused on possession. And I think they were just intent on uh, forcing mistakes in, of of the opponent, basically, and then punishing them with with a serious attack in, in Lewandowski and Royce, Mario Götze. You know, these are quality players. Um, I think Liverpool in the modern day, I think Klopp's learned, specifically in England, that relying on pressing as a means of chance creation isn't that sustainable simply because in certain matches you will face Burnley and you will face, you know, a team that are willing to just absolutely boost it into the stands. And as you as you said earlier, they're willing to just turn up, not to lose. Um, so those teams, you need other ways to beat them. And I think it's made Klopp a more complete manager. It's made Liverpool a more complete team. Um, and we can now hear teams in various different ways rather than what you've just said there about Dortmund being quite quite one-dimensional despite being very good yeah well 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 said yeah i think that kind of rounds it up quite well i uh i don't remember i don't think they were very good in possession where they, they they couldn't see despite having really good technical players um and also just just a side point is if you kind of look at their record around that time they didn't um i know they won things but it, it felt like they, they didn't really sustain runs in multiple competitions um i think a, a lot of that comes down to you know burning out because of we know how intense that kind of style of play is from from watching liverpool um whereas now 
you've you spoke about it before Liverpool kind of adapt the game where they'll they'll go down from fifth gear to maybe second or third at various points in the game to sustain energy to kind of you know uh, play at top level across various games for a prolonged period and it felt like maybe back then Klopp hadn't really Klopp and his team hadn't really sussed that out perfectly yeah I think that may be derived from the fact that Klopp wanted Dortmund to just press ferociously every single match whether the match be in three days time or, or whatever I think that's another thing he's improved with time to kind of, I suppose, if you're two or three nil up, mm. kind of take your foot off the gas, conserve your energy, um, and that sort of stuff. If you're facing a team that aren't going to let you press them rather than still trying to do it, just don't, just don't even bother really and, and you know, deliver a bit of a, a bit more of a realistic plan rather than going down the idealistic route of we're going to press them into a mistake. When you're facing, as I said, a Burnley-type team. Um, so how do you think the match would actually play out on the pitch? Because for me, I, I I would see Klopp's Dortmund being perfectly fine with allowing Liverpool to have the ball mm. um, with a view to, as I've just said, basically making a mistake and, you know, Royce and Lewandowski and countering. The issue I'd see with that, though, and the reason I think Liverpool would win this game is because Liverpool's defence, particularly, is a lot better than Dortmund's. And I think the likes of Van Dijk and Gomez and players like that, I don't think they're that vulnerable to counter-attacks. I think they've got enough about them to cope with these quick counters. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, well, it, I think it would be a lot more successful tactic for, for teams this season if they weren't. Uh, if they were vulnerable, I think we would have saw a lot of examples of Liverpool getting getting you know done on the counter attack, and uh, I don't, know, I can't really think of any, you know, uh, or many this season. So yeah, I think that that would be the. Go. As you can say, the one that comes to mind, which isn't really a counter, but it, it was supposed to be a quick break, was walls away. Uh, Adam uh, threw a cross to, to hit to run him with his header. Really good yeah. goal. Yeah, but then, well, yeah, okay, fair. I was about to say, but that's what Wolves are good at, but then this Dortmund side were good at that as well. Um, yeah, well, you know, maybe they would score on the night, but I still just think, you know, Liverpool, Liverpool would control the game. I think Liverpool now know how to control the game against Sardou would sit back, but also create chances as well. And that defence, I know you've got the likes of Hummels in there, but I don't think that was a great defensive unit. Um you know, I don't think it was the type of side that could sit back and, and soak up, you know, pressure. And like I, I say to you, don't me, I think Liverpool could, if they wanted to be, be, be a side, fantastic sitting in a low block. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they just don't need to be. I, I don't think this Dortmund defence or this Dortmund side could, could do that. I agree. But at the same time, I would, um, I'd personally give that Dortmund defence as a team a bit more credit because their their way of defending was from the front, wasn't it? Mm. Um, pressing as a team, regardless, kind of going down the route of uh, preventing shots, sort of thing. I think Klopp's record when he came to Liverpool. I think I remember a. Uh, I think I remember a piece from Andrew Beasley, uh, based tune to Red on Twitter. I think he wrote about Klopp when he when he you know when he was rumored to come to Liverpool or when he arrived or something like that, and he captured. Klopp's Dortmund performance in the numbers 
in attack and defence and Klopp demonstrated an ability to get his, his attack working and his defence working at the same time. Mm. Um, I think the difference in that though is that pressure from the front as I mean as a defending just worked a lot better in Germany because of the different styles whereas in England uh, you know as I said before if, if a team presses a, a, a more direct side in England they just boot it they just hit it long so yeah yeah mm, yeah it's a good point so who, who, who would you say is the is the winner then uh, Liverpool for me I just think that they're just a more complete side even the last time Dortmund won the league, I did look, I did have a gander at this, and it was um, in 2011-2012, and Dortmund dropped 21 points that season. Um, whereas you look at this Liverpool side in a really competitive Premier League, have dropped four. Um, I just think they're a complete side, and I, for me, this Liverpool side would probe um, until they found an opening. And even if Dortmund could find a way to to score at the other end, maybe on a, like a Wolves-esque counter-attack, you know, I think you'd have to score two or three to, to get anything out of the game on the day because it's very rare that Liverpool score less than two goals in a match. Um, so yeah. I think Liverpool would <coughs> would win. Yeah. I think yeah. this this Dortmund side against the Liverpool side before Van Dijk and Alisson, I think would be a, a bit of a, a close contest, wouldn't it? That'd be a end to end, a bit of a crazy one, I think. Yeah, like twenty eighteen Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was tw- in fact no twenty eighteen nineteen was was still Van Dijk and Allison. I think it it will have been before that while we still had Coutinho. Yeah, I'm thinking of that. Uh, like the 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 end of the like the City Champions League fixture period. I think that was the start of twenty eighteen. So yeah, that would have yeah. been seventeen, eighteen. Sorry, um, but yeah, just a, that side then where they could kind of, you know, blow sides away, but maybe went there defensively. Yeah. Well, listen. Anyway, we'll leave it there. I think um, mm. that I think definitely rounds off the series of uh, <laughs> finding basically <laughs> next week. Well. Next week, looking at physios. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next week, find out another. Um, Pep Linders or something like that. <laughs> Other more than ever. Um, but hopefully, hopefully people enjoyed it anyway. I mean, we've got we've got a month's worth of content, I suppose, out of that. I enjoyed uh, it. Yeah, I did as well. I like doing things like that. Mm. Uh, God knows where we're gonna go next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to come up come up with some ideas. If you've got any, send them over to us. But uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And thanks for tuning in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.